0: with you another edition of the degenerate hawkeyes podcast trent biz off a hawkeye victory just like everybody had it 18 17 the final in that one keith duncan one of the stars of the day and an iowa victory making a five in a row against the cyclones biz got to be feeling good here today
1: yeah one for the thumb trent uh you know it's been a long time since uh we put together a streak like this against the clones so uh you know, and they've clearly they give them credit. They're clearly a heck of a lot better team than they've they've been, um, at least in our lifetime. So uh, you know, hey, these are wins you need to celebrate right now because uh, beating beating that Campbell uh, for the fourth time in a row is pretty sweet. And, and I saw somebody tweeted out uh, they listed the number of days it's been since uh, an Iowa State victory in any sport. I think it was uh, six six hundred and forty eight in basketball. 1,829 in football, and 5,398 in wrestling. So uh, (laughs) it is absolutely a Hawkeye State right now, Trent.
0: And that clock will continue to tick on baseball for the foreseeable future. Well, Biz, I was there. You were able to uh, watch it on television. Delay through things certainly uh, all over the place. Had game day there. The environment, it it was really good. It, It was great. I saw more Hawkeye fans than I anticipated, though, inside the stadium Wasn't quite the number I've seen in some of the past games. You know, there's been a lot of talk about vitriol and what the band went through and different things like that. But, you know, overall, and maybe it's aging as I approach my 40th birthday, but I didn't see, at least for me, a whole lot of the same hatred that there was in the past. Maybe just the people that you're around, you just never know. You run into those bad pockets. But overall, I certainly, the last time I was at a Seahawks game in Ames was 2005 it felt a lot more emotionally charged, a lot more negative than this one. But you talk to other people, they have a different representation of what happened. It just kind of crazy how different people go through different experiences.
1: Well, I think most people, most reasonable fans, which obviously, you know, the reasonable fans are not the ones you're going to hear on social media, and they're not the ones that are going to scream the loudest. But I think most reasonable Iowa and Iowa State fans, at least right now, have kind of a uh, – begrudgingly respect the other team. I think most Iowa fans realize Matt Campbell has uh, has got something going in the right direction for Iowa State, and I think most realistic Iowa State fans respect Kurt Ferentz and what he's done over the years. So, you know, I, I think part of that hatred when you go back to 05 is that there was just zero respect for, uh, for Iowa State as a team, and I think Iowa fans just got so angry every time they'd lose to him because they just kind of uh, – took it as their birthright to beat the Clones there for a while. But uh, now, I mean, I think both teams are good football teams. Are, are they great football teams? No. I mean, these aren't teams that are going to be, uh, you know, in the playoff by any means. But I think they're both teams that will stick around in the, that top 25 area the rest of the year. And so it's two good football teams battling. And uh, the best part about the whole thing, Trent, is uh, going back to the Clones days of, of you know, of, of our youth, this was a uh, a classic case of, of 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 cloning. You know, there's the old term Clemsoning that used to happen before uh, Clemson became a legitimate power, but uh, we hadn't seen a good good classic case of, of cloning in a long time. They uh, they did what they used to do best, which is find ways to lose football games. So uh, there's a little uh, extra satisfaction in the fact that not only did we win but it kind of looked a little bit like some of the Iowa State teams of old and, and then finding a way to lose.
0: It does, and with every, you know, there's so many things that you could say maybe tip the balance Iowa State's way, not just the build-up and game day being there. The amount of fans, as they talked about, inside the building, it was more than ever a very decided Iowa State advantage on those types of things, making the big plays on and on and on. For Iowa to still find a way to win that football game for Iowa State, Find a way to be on the losing end of it. I think on both sides, you can kind of understand either frustration from the Iowa State perspective and certainly elation from the Iowa side of things. This wasn't a great played game on either side. There are plenty of things that you can look back upon and say, boy, if you just could have done this. But to get a victory, and this is more of an all-encompassing kind of thought, but we talked about so much during the offseason about the five road games. They're 1-0. oh, doesn't matter how you get there. You get these victories. You pile them up. You're going to be a really good team and a really good record at the end of the season. Style points really don't matter when you're talking about road games.
1: Well, and, and you look at those road games, they don't look quite as imposing as they did nope. start of the year. I mean, Michigan's obviously always going to be a very difficult team to win at, at the big house, but they haven't looked as good as people thought they were. Northwestern is uh, definitely a work in progress, which that's nothing new for a Fitzgerald team, and Nebraska has been an average at best. The only one of the five, I would say, has looked better than anticipated is Wisconsin. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, those road games still, I mean, realistically you know, we talked about the start, if you can go three and two in those road games, that, that, you know, that's not, that's nothing to, nothing to pout about. And you've already got the one out of the way, so I, if you can go 50-50 in those other four, you've got a chance to uh, do some good things this year.
0: I think this team continues to trend in that direction. Let's fire through here a little bit of what we saw. Let's start at the quarterback position, Nate Stanley. I think one of the biggest numbers there, you look at the overall numbers, just a shade over 200 yards, but some of those throws on third down that he made, and as a team, Iowa going 10-19 on third downs, to me, one of the big differences. Yeah,
1: he's, and that's something that, when Nate is going, uh, he gives us that added element. Third down and 10 used to be pretty much an automatic punt for for the Hawks. Uh, and, and that's not the case anymore. I mean, that third and 22 pass was as good of a pass as you will ever see from a college quarterback. I mean, that thing was just an absolute laser. It was in the right spot. I'm um, just really impressed these three games with his general control of this team. He, he just looks like a guy who... Uh, has lots of confidence and has tons of respect from his teammates and is in complete control of this team. Um, as we said before, he's never going to be the perfect quarterback because uh, he's not the world's most accurate quarterback and uh, he tends to make some uh, some silly throws from time to time. Fortunately, you know, he he made a really poor decision with five minutes to go in the game and threw it up into double coverage. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that, that ball found a way to. to to find some turf instead of being picked off. And, you know, we were able to kick the field goal to play after. But, uh, you know, two, three games, he doesn't have a single interception. And, and, you know, you still get a portion of our fan base that finds a way to complain about him. If if you're complaining about Nate Stanley as our quarterback, uh, you're never going to be happy as a fan.
0: Don't think so. The running game, uh, solid again this week. Got uh, able to find some holes out there. Goodson, he absolutely trucked Iceworth. That was a great play and a play that – Looked like he very well could have been stopped for a loss. He bounces it outside and then runs through Iceworth. Saw good things. Sargent's battling his way through a wrist injury. Running backs, Iowa's got a good stable of running backs.
1: Uh, two things. One, can Iceworth please leave early for the NFL after this <laughs> year? Because that, that guy is a player. Wow, he is, he is. He's basically their Monty Hooker. I mean, he yeah. does everything. I was I was really impressed with him. And be nice if he would uh, declare early. Um, but the other thing with our running backs, I'm just endlessly impressed with their uh, all of their abilities to block. He, even Goodson got in there, and I mean, there was I can count at least five times in that game where our lo- running backs uh, did a nice job on blitz pickup and 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 bought Stanley an extra second or two to make some plays. So just our Goodson being the exception, I'm not sure any of the other three are what you consider to be you know, overly dynamic running backs, but they all, uh, they all get the job done and, and they all, uh, have been, been proven themselves capable in a variety of different ways. So, uh, you know, having four running backs is is, is a good problem to have. And, and as we've seen in the past, chances are at least one or two of them will probably go down with an injury at some point this year. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get to continue to see all four of them, but I, I'd be shocked if we don't continue to see Tyler Goodson, uh, more and more after the bye week, the fact that they, uh, Trusted him to be in there on the road in that environment leads me to believe that uh, he is going to be getting the ball more, not less, as we move forward throughout the year.
0: Oliver Martin at the wide receiver group, just two snaps in the game. Is this him not quite ready for the playbook and understanding what they're trying to do? Is it the shoulder injury we heard about back in August? Two snaps in the game, or is it just frankly, I was got four good receivers in front of him.
1: I think a little of both. I think it's a we do have four guys in front of him. To b, I mean, he's only been on campus for you know a little over you know, two, three months, and you know I think wide receivers kind of a hard position in our uh, you know our offense to pick up because we count on them to do you know a lot of read and react type things and. Um I think he's a smart guy. I think he'll pick it up. And I think, again, like Goodson, I think he'll play more and more as the year goes on. Um, I, again, it's one of those things that amazes me. You know, after a great win like that, you get online on and you hear people whining and complaining about Oliver Martin not playing. I mean, <laughs> have you watched the rest of our wide receivers? They've all been really, really good. I mean, all, all four wide receivers, again, contributed and did well. Um, so it's, it might just be as simple as case that he's number five right now.
0: I buy that, yeah, and I think that's certainly what we're seeing there. Offensive line Litterbaum, He took a guy for a ride. That was fun to see. Offensive line overall solid effort again. Yeah,
1: pass blocking same as last year and then this year. Pass blocking has just been an absolute strength of this team. Uh, you know, the only sack Iowa State had was was kind of the fluke play where we tried to run the uh, the same play that, that Stanley overthrew at Penn State last year, and you know blew up in our face this year, but uh, other than that sack, I mean, Stanley had all, time, all, all kinds of time to throw, and, and that's really been a strength of this uh, offensive line for for a you know, year, year and a half now. The um, run blocking continues to get better. I mean, it's, uh, it's still kind of hit and miss, but I would hope if Larry Jackson gets back, that's only going to be, get better. I mean, it's kind of a, a pattern along the line here. I think a lot of areas of the offense are looking good, but I think there's also room for improvement and can get better um, especially after uh, with the bye week coming up.
0: Over on the defensive side of things, Epinesa, quiet game out of him. Golston, not a whole lot there. And of course, they were doing a whole lot, double teaming really throughout the game on Epinesa. But time to see more out of Chauncey Golston.
1: Yeah, he's been very quiet through three games. And I can't remember a single time where he has had even a quarterback hurry. Uh, he has done a nice job against the run. Um, I think he had four or five tackles again. And, and he's done. Well, in that area, but he certainly hasn't pressure put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks like he did uh, when he was in last year. Um, you know, and the funny thing is, I, I saw something that you know our offense has done such a good job of ball control through three games that uh, you know, has barely played more plays through three games than he did last year through three play- games because uh, mm-hmm. we've only our defense has only been on the field for what like fifty one or fifty two plays a game, and you uh, he sat out. 10 or 20 of those in both the first two games. So uh, one of my concerns with the D-line is if we get into a game where they do have to play 70, 75 snaps on the defensive end, we're going to see some some clear uh, exhaustion, I think. Because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously not the depth they had last year and they haven't really had to be tested as far as going, uh, you know, 60 70 snaps yet. So if and when that happens, uh, I think that's a definite concern to look
0: out for. Yeah, it remains one of my biggest ones. Talked about that through the first two weeks. Got to find a way to get some kind of depth at that defensive end spot. They built a little defensive end depth, uh, defensive tackle depth, excuse me. Schulte, uh, went out there. I thought he played solid at least throughout uh, what his snaps that he gave in the game with Reef in the injury there. Lattimore didn't pop the way he did in the first couple and thought the Iowa State offensive line certainly took a big step forward in the way they played against you and I. Linebackers, your boy Christian Welch, he continues to be out there. He does a really nice job.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I third week in a row, linebackers probably uh, are one of our strengths again, and, and, you know, that's something that I'm not sure anybody anticipated coming into the year, but they, they've done a nice job, um, especially, you know, with the secondary, obviously having uh, plenty of issues, and, you know, Phil so Parker obviously had to play it safe for the vast majority of that game, and, and especially after the uh, trick play early on, you know he was giving the type of cushion that we used to give, you know, a decade ago, and when, when Norm was the the uh, the D coordinator, and that affects all parts of the, your defense because you know, Birdie was able to dink and dunk and do everything underneath whenever he wanted to, basically because you know Parker just didn't have enough comfort comfort on the, on the back end to be able to uh, put him on an island out there, so. You know, again, we talk about it all the time, Trent, but Phil but Parker's in-game adjustments, I thought, were, were the key to that game. He, he was absolutely brilliant the last couple of series. We started blitzing more. We had Epinesa drop back into coverage a few times. Uh, you know, we just came with a lot of different looks, and it clearly flustered Brock Purdy. He, he went from being uh, as comfortable as could be to, uh, you know, basically throwing up a, uh, what, what do you call it, a Tony Armstrong arm punt as a <laughs> as pass of the day. He was he was absolutely confused at what we were thrown at in the last two drives. And that's, that, that's still Parker, uh, to a T is, is to kind of get, build that, uh, that false confidence and then, uh, throw some different stuff at you and, and uh, get you doubting yourself. And, and, and he did that. And Brock Purdy, I think we both agree, he's a heck of a quarterback, mm-hmm. but, uh, he did not look the same the last quarter, quarter and a half as he did, uh, you know, up to the point of that the, the second touchdown
0: early in the third quarter. You know, it's the old Phil Parker adage and Norm going back in the day, you know, we don't want to get beat deep. Now, it happened twice, but the adjustments that he made, like you said, Biz, and knowing, yeah, Brock Purdy, he can make some throws, but to make... 12 throws to get down the field and score a touchdown, going to be difficult and able able every single time to, to bear down there. And when it got on the plus side of the 50, the Iowa defense played at a really, really high level. D.J. Johnson, we get to the defensive backfield, and that's where I think there's the most angst right now out of the Hawkeye fan base is what we saw. D.J. Johnson struggled early on, gave up the touchdown on the trick play. They swung it out there, the double pass turning into the touchdown. Then early in the second half, the long touchdown they gave up there. Maybe miscommunication between Johnson and Kerner on the back end. But you're playing with a walk-on, number 3 safety on the backside. You're playing with what? Your number 5 cornerback, probably expectation-wise, coming into the year with the injuries that they've had. To still be able to do that, to still only give up 17 points in the game, and 14 of them came on two big plays, and that's it. Says a whole lot there. And I think DJ Johnson, I think he's going to grow from this. I, I think we're going to see a lot better player now going forward. You saw that as the game progressed. There's a reason they had him at the cash. You can see he is a very good tackler, even though he's not a huge guy. He's not as physically imposing as even a guy like Hooker was. But there's a reason they liked him in that cash position. It is because he is a good tackler.
1: Yeah, I mean he led the team in tackles on the, on Saturday. And the other thing on the secondary, you know, people haven't mentioned this much. Kerner made an absolutely brilliant split-second decision in batting that ball down yep. instead of intercepting it. Also, if he intercepts that, his momentum is carrying him out of bounds at the you know five ten-yard line. You know, we end up having to punt back and, and assuming that they don't uh, you know you know target their own teammate like they did. They get the ball <laughs> midfield there, and, and you're in real deep trouble. So, I mean, the, for him to have the wherewithal and the the heat of the moment to realize hey, I don't need to be the hero here. I don't need my first career interception. I just need to bat this ball down because it saved my team 30, 35 yards. That's that's Iowa football to a T right there. I mean, that's the type of stuff that uh, you don't see with, you know, some of the – you know, I watched Florida State later on that night, and, you know, just the culture of that program is, is a 180 from Iowa's program. And, and little things like that are what makes Iowa – a successful team year in and year out. And that, to me, was what made this win so satisfying because I'm so sick and tired of Matt Campbell's uh, spewing his his constant BS about the process and the details and how much everyone loves each other in their locker room and and, and how, you know, it's the little things that matter. You're right, Matt. It is the little things that matter. And you know who did the little things better on Saturday? Iowa. Um, And and you know why they did it? Because they, they do it all the time you go back and look that boy sent me a, a list i mean over the years it's been incredible how efficient we've been as far as limiting turnovers against the clones over the years and you know we're not like matt campbell we don't need to preach and preach and preach about the process because perk ferentz lives the process and we let our uh our plane do the talking for us So uh, to me that's the most satisfying thing about it i'm so sick and tired of hearing matt campbell talk about uh this wonderful culture he's building over there. All he's doing is uh, building the exact same culture that Iowa's had for two decades.
0: Very true. And, and another component to that, and it is three phases. Finally, the special teams, without Iowa being able to make field goals and have a punter that was solid and sleep out and, and make plays, and you know they got the short field and they did it because of the coverage unit. There was a block in the back and it moved him back. And Reganey, after seeing some short punts earlier in the game. He stepped up and had the return and brought it back to the twenty-five and on Iowa's only touchdown and on and on and on these little things and it comes down to the special teams a huge difference and very well could be the difference last year's team was incredibly talented they went eight and five nine and four excuse me they they had yeah eight eight and four during the regular season and then the bowl win but that team felt like it should have been a ten win team maybe that's the difference and how this team gets to ten wins this year is those special teams because they were great again.
1: Well, and you got to have some luck, too, Trent. We've talked about it all the time. The, the margin for error for Iowa football is uh, is razor thin. And let, let's be honest. I mean, Like I said, this is a classic case of, of, of cloning. I mean, the last five minutes of the game, you look at, I mean, they had two guys that both had their hands on a potential interception in the end zone. You've got Brock Purdy that just biffs it and falls on his face for a five-yard loss. You've got, the, like I said, the Purdy arm punt on fourth and 13. He just throws it to nowhere or, or to Jack Kerner and then obviously you've got the uh the, the teammate targeting at the end i mean those are all things that you know that's a lot of luck to go in your your way in the last 5 minutes so mm-hmm. you know and we'll talk about it in a little bit Trent but uh you know we needed some of that luck because for as good as our coaching staff has been um in many ways <laughs> well they they made did some head scratching choices uh uh, with some clock management things that, that could have cost us that game. And, and this could be a totally, totally different uh, conversation we're having today if luck doesn't go our way on mm-hmm. Saturday.
0: No doubt. And that gets into this clock management that you talked about, some of the decisions for the second week in a row late in the first half. I don't think this one was nearly as egregious as the week before against Rutgers, but still uh, the, the time management that they use there – it felt like they should have been able to get at least a shot at the end zone there. They didn't. You kick the field goal, as a weird half. You had the stoppages and all that. I, I get it, but boy, I, I just, the way things have gone at the end of first halves, and this isn't a one-time thing. It's been happening for a while. Can't they just get a kid that plays Madden and have him help them out? Well, I mean, if
1: you look at it, the last three halves of football that have mattered for this team, we've had completely head-scratching decisions by our, by our coaching staff. You know, the first half of the Rutgers game, um, you know, they ran the clock way too far down and had to settle for a field goal first half against Iowa State, basically the same scenario. I mean, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that they get the ball last and their team doesn't get a chance to go back and score. But it's simple. Both times, we should have started moving at 35, 40 seconds, not 15, 20 seconds. And it's those little things. I mean, I like that we were aware of the fact that we need to run the clock down, but uh you got to snap the ball and start being aggressive with 35, 40 seconds left. And then, you know, second half of the Iowa State game, I've got no problem with the play call on the third down. I just have a problem with the, the direction they ran it in. Mm-hmm. You cannot run that play to the short side of the field. You put Nate Weeding and Nate Stanley in a no win situation. I mean, Stanley's basically got to make the throw, he's wide open right in front of him. But then Weeding, you know, by the time he turns his head upfield, he's. He's stuck. He's going to get pushed out of bounds unless he miraculously just falls straight down. So, I mean, that's three straight coaching decisions that at the end of halves that could have, you know, those are the types of things that are going to lose football games for us at some point. Um, and we'll talk about it. For, I mean, there's been a million different things I've loved about this, what this coaching staff has done. And I think the positives have far outweighed the negatives through the three games. But uh, clock management. Is infuriating and has been for a long time. And you know, again, because you win, you kind of just kind of gloss over those things and say, "Thank goodness it didn't hurt us." Well, eventually, it's going to hurt us.
0: You know, the other part of that—that that final play before, of course, they got the the fumbled punt return back—is like you. I, I like it. You're going for the win. You're going for the dagger. You get a first down there. You win the football game. Not just the direction of the play, but. It felt like, at least from my vantage point, that Stanley had a different read. It was covered up, and if that's the case in that one, you tell Nate Stanley if that first read is covered, you're just ducking down. You're just going down, and you're taking a sack there. There is no reason at all to throw the football, especially, like you said, to the short side of the field with Weeding and his momentum taking him out. You have one read on that play. If it's not there, fall over, take the snap, and we'll punt it away, and the clock will be running.
1: Yeah, fortunately, uh, it's, it's all for naught. No. It doesn't matter, Trent, because, uh, uh, like I said, the, the, the clones did what they do best, and uh, we don't have to worry about that. So, you know, one last thing before we uh, before we move on, Trent, I, I gave Stat Boy just a light assignment this week. Okay. Uh, I was interested to know, with us being outgained by over 100 yards, had that ever happened before uh, in, in, in the series? Have we ever been outgained by that much and still won? So you got to guess as to... Uh, whether it's ever happened before,
0: I'm gonna say yes. This has happened before. There, there's been some shaky offensive performances and sneaking it out the back door. Absolutely.
1: So you're correct, but it's only been one time. And, and oh, this is again, this case. is the caveat that StatBowl only went back to 1977 when the uh, series resumed. I didn't have him go back and look at the uh, the World War II days before <laughs> they uh, before they called off the series. So from 1977, this is the second most yards Iowa State has outgained us by and we found a way to win. The one that the other one that was had more yardage by Iowa State where we won surprised me. It was not it was especially because of the score, but uh, two thousand three trent we were out by almost hundred and fifty yards. Hmm. But we still find a way to win forty to twenty one. Um, and, and what we're gonna do, we'll look at it real quick. This is actually the fifth time in the series. We've won twenty nine times since they, they started things back up in 1977 and five of the times um, Iowa State has gained more yards. So we'll look at all five because there is a clear pattern of those victories. So, uh, um, the 2003, like I said, 150 uh, yards they outgained us by, but that was a game, if you remember, two blocked punts by the Hawks mm-hmm. and three closed turnovers led to a 40-21 to win.
0: That would have been, but, what, Matt Malloy and Sean Considine on the blocks? I believe you're correct
1: on both. Yeah, I, I said, Malloy may have gotten both of them. I think Constantine oh, okay. recovered right. one for the touchdown, but I think Malloy got them both. Um, but then 2008 um, would be the third most, because this year was second most. The third most, they, they outgained us by 85 yards in 2008. But if you remember that year, we won 17 to 5. And why we win that game, Trent? 17
0: 5. Well, we won that game because of Andy Brodell.
1: Exact. Special teams internal. Yeah. Brodell. Punt return touchdown, three clones turnovers. So uh, the three times that they have significantly outgained us, we have beat them for two simple reasons: we kicked their butt in special teams, and we won the turnover battle. So the other two times, the fourth and fifth times, uh, we'll gloss over them real quick. If you go back to 1988 and 1990, they outgained us, but one time it was by one yard, and one time it was by eight yards. So uh, not exactly a, a big discrepancy in yards. So. But three times in the last 16 years, they've outgained us uh, significantly, and we found a way to win, and it's all been with, with the same formula. Um, play great special teams and don't turn the ball over.
0: Easy enough. Just do that every time then, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, we're, we're, you know, we're three for three in those categories. I think we have, what, one turnover for the year, and special teams have been absolutely phenomenal through three games. So, so we're off to a good start.
0: We definitely are. All right, so thank you, Stat Boy, for some great information. And this has happened, yeah, a lot more often than I thought in, in Iowa State, at least in, according to those numbers. And those numbers, I mean, it's I thought, saw what Brent Bloom had. It's happened 500 times over the past how many ever years. And one of those games that went the other way was Iowa beating Iowa State. But uh, there's so much funkiness to it. I don't know. I I don't read a whole lot into those kind of numbers. That this was some kind of fluke that Iowa won the football game.
1: Oh, not at all. I mean, it,
0: it,
1: we moved the ball consistently on them all game long. Were we marching up and down the field, you know, twenty yards at a time? Absolutely not. But uh, you know, we were inside there, their inside their forty. I think what six times in the game, and so it wasn't like we weren't moving the football, and you know. One of the things we've talked about many times in the past, and we can talk about it again if you want, but the, part of the reason we had to sell for field goals so many times is just to, our continued uh, inability to gain get first downs in short yardage situations. And it, it's, I think we can all agree, Trent, and this is not exactly a hot take. Because I think everybody agrees, but it's time to just do away with the two back, three tight end. Oh, yes. We're going to run it down your throat on third and fourth and one. Mm-hmm. It never, ever, ever works. It, it's time to stop.
0: Right there with you. The numbers bear that out. We uh, talked about, I think, over the off season about the numbers that Scott Dockerman had at the Athletic, and you just see it with your own eyes. Yeah, you don't have to even, you don't need to see the numbers. Knowing, just go out there and run your offense. Just run what you do. Do or what you do. Just
1: run a quarterback sneak. I mean, we've <laughs> won, we've won five quarterback sneaks this year, and I'm not joking. We've averaged like four yards to carry on quarterback sneak. Go watch the video from the end zone of our one touchdown in that game. I mean, the way we run that quarterback sneak, the way it's legal now, is we let Brady Ross just run right up Nate Stanley's butt, and the combination of Str- Ross, Stanley, and Linderbaum took Ray Lima and just threw him back about 10 yards into the end zone. I mean, don't overthink it. You've got the biggest quarterback uh, in the Big Ten, and you've got a beast of a, a center. You can get a half yard on that every single time. I, I, I just I don't get why we think we need to overthink it and do these weird things. Quarterbacks sneak it every single time.
0: Well, this is the week to do it. It is a bye week before mid-Tennessee, and then back to the Big Ten slate of game with the road trip to Michigan and Penn State, both looming in the beginning of October. This team is 3-0. and They feel a lot better than I anticipated, Biz. This team seems to be one that is trending in a really positive direction that's going to be right there in contention for the title in the West with Wisconsin. I I look at it now, and you look at the whole slate of the Big Ten West, I know Minnesota's 3-0, and and I think there's something to be said for the Gophers being 3-0. and Three games they easily could have lost, and in the past they would have lost, probably two of those games. Instead, they are 3-0, and but I look at it right now, I think it's Iowa-Wisconsin, and, and I still give the Hawks a real good shot. Well,
1: I think you're going to find out a lot about the Big Ten West this weekend, because Wisconsin gets Michigan, and, and Northwestern gets Michigan State, and they both get them at home. Um, and... You know, I guess we'll find out. I, I, everybody just kind of just completely dismisses Northwestern every single year, and, and I think you're foolish to do that. And, you know, I, I think we'll find out this week if the Big Ten West is, uh improved or if it's the same old, you know, also ran to the East. So, yeah, but, you know, one of the things I asked you on a on list this week, China, I mean, three games, you know, we're 3-0, obviously, so it's hard to complain, but is this team – playing better worse or about what you expected to
0: three games I think they're better I, I think they're substantially better so the question marks that we had coming into the year I think they've been by and large all answered they the certainly the offensive line looks like it has taken a step forward the wide receiver group does look like all these guys are playing at a high level the running game looks to be much improved from what they were a year ago. Uh, The defensive ends, as I've talked about before, I think are still a concerning point in terms of depth. But overall, top to bottom, certainly special teams, this team is immensely better than I anticipated. They'd be at this point perfect on field goals and extra points. Sleep Dalton has been the elixir they needed in the punting game. Now, I think this team is not just better. I think they're substantially better than I anticipated at this point.
1: Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. I wouldn't say substantially better. I think they have a chance to be substantially better, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's still a work in progress. Right? Part of that is just simply due to, to injuries. I mean, if you have told me that we had lost, you know, one of our star tackles, a defensive tackle, multiple D-backs, and we're basically out four starters prior to the Iowa State game, I, I don't think anybody would have thought we were going to win that game. And 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 we found a way to do it. And, again, it's a credit to the coaching staff, and especially Phil Parker, to, to be creative and be able to – uh Work with what he what he had out there, um, but yeah, I think this team. The, the, the thing that I'm most excited about the team through three games is, uh, I think there's a lot of ways we can still be a much better team. I mean, I, I think we're we've played well, but we can play better. I, mean, I don't think we've seen the best this team can can play at this point. Um, you mentioned on special teams Duncan and Sleep Dalton. I'd add throw in the third kicker in there too. Caleb Schuidt has been yeah. incredible on kickoffs. His kickoff after we cut it to 14-9, to nine was one of the keys to the game. I mean, he he drops it right at the one-yard line. Their guy didn't know what to do as far as uh, bringing it out or uh, trying to down it. Uh, brought it out. They get the penalty. They start at the 5, and, and we flipped the field position. And that was the first time all, all game that we'd really had favorable field position, and we started at the 25 and obviously punched it in. Um, you know, especially has been phenomenal. Offense, I think, has been better. You know, defense, I, you know, Defense can—it's uh, hard to say when your defense is what fifteenth in the in, in the nation, but I think this defense can still be significantly better. Defensive line can be better than what they have been through three games, and when you get everybody back healthy in the secondary, it's only going to improve. So, you know, I, I agree. I think this team's been better than than I anticipated through three games, but I'm cautiously optimistic that they can be—they you know, can go from being good to great over the next. Uh, in, uh, talked about before the schedule sets up perfectly you get kind of a three you split the season in three parts and the second part we've got a chance to really uh show that we're a we're a contender so let's hope that happens
0: i i am hopeful that this team can continue to improve and get better and they're better than i thought at this point i am very high on this team what they can do going forward in a good time for a bye week to banged up team and a chance to get healthy here well are you ready to get into some picks for the week? It's been nothing short but an unmitigated disaster for me to this point. I'm down 500 bucks on the year. How am I doing, Trent? Uh, you won $200 more last week, and uh, you're up 300 on the year. So if people are following you, they're winning. If they're fading me, they're making money.
1: Well, uh, let's hope they're uh, making the smart decisions, then. and let's hope I can keep it rolling. I've got There were six or seven games that I actually genuinely like this week. So uh, usually when that happens, I, I pick the wrong three. So uh, let's hope I don't do that
0: this week. I, I hear you there. All right. So I'm going to start with my teaser for the week. I'm going to, again, try to make a little bit more money. I hit two out of three hit, pieces. Have you, have you hit on any of those teasers yet? I hit up one of them, uh, the two-teamer. This three-teamer, though, this is how I get a little plus money, and this is how I try to make my way back into it. So a three-team Six-and-a-half point parlay, or teaser, excuse me, where you get six-and-a-half. I got two totals in here, Northwestern Michigan State. That thing drops down to now 33 from the 39-and-a-half that it's currently at, over 33 points. God help me, I'm hoping for an over in Michigan State, Northwestern. What I'm probably going to end up needing is overtime in order to get that. And I'm going to Thursday night. Tulane-Houston, the under. This has been a really interesting line move. I was reading an article earlier today about all the steam that has come in dropping this thing down while the public has been all over the over. They look at, well, Houston. They, they run an air raid system. They're going to be throwing the ball all over. They're one of the slowest teams in college football. So going with the under in that one. And then my third part of it, Texas A&M going to flip it around. They are currently a 3.5-point favorite. Comes back the other way. I'm getting plus 2.5 with A&M. And the third piece there, so 100 bucks on that plus 130. Got to try to get rolling here as we're down 500 bucks.
1: I, I hate the first part of your teaser there. I think I think Northwestern and Michigan State could play uh, six quarters and maybe not get to 33 and a half. That game's uh, going to be ugly. And so I, I thought about doing the under on that game, but I just decided instead of doing the under to take uh, take Northwestern at plus nine and a half as as, as one of my three. Bigger bets this week. So I got three one hundred and fifty dollar bets again this week. Trent uh, Northwestern is one of them. Um, I don't know if Northwestern wins this game, but uh, nine and a half points against a uh, inept offense, I and mean, when you got a coach like Fitzgerald that plays everybody uh, tough, I, I just don't see this being a double digit score win by either team. So give me Northwestern nine and a half as my first bet. And I'll put hundred and fifty on it.
0: One fifty on the Wildcats for your first bet. All right. So you got another a uh, couple hundred and fifty dollar bets. What's your second one for one fifty?
1: Second one uh, I I don't learn, Trent. Two weeks ago I I was confident that Tennessee was gonna beat BYU. Uh as we all know they did not. But I'm going back to the well, Trent, uh, Tennessee is getting two touchdowns in a rivalry game against a uh, a mediocre Florida team. Florida is uh, not great. They're, they've got a lot of talent. Um, they're they have very good defense, but I think two touchdowns in that game is just too much. So give me Tennessee plus fourteen. I'll put one hundred fifty on that as well.
0: One fifty on Tennessee plus fourteen. All right. I can uh, buy that. I know your love and your affinity, and uh, Stat Boy loves singing Rocky Top, so you guys can do that together on Saturday. I got two $150 bets here. My first is USC getting four and a half against Utah. Utah is the last hope for the Pac-12. They're a solid team, but let's not make them out to be anything great by any means. USC found a way to lose again over the weekend, but at least showing signs of life. Four and a half. That's too many in this game. This is a field goal game. I think either way here. I'm going to grab the Trojans in the four and a half.
1: That does not surprise you a bit, Trent. That, that is a classic Trent, Trent Condon pick <laughs> there to fade the public. So, what, what's your your third uh, third pick of the week?
0: All right, another one hundred and fifty dollars bet. I am going to go with Oklahoma State getting five and a half at Texas. This is more of a historical trend. The Cowboys have been very good against Texas. I am not a big believer in this Texas team this year. I think they're more in that eight and four range as opposed to eleven and one. They already have the one loss to LSU here, so I'm going to grab Oklahoma State. They can run it. I really like the young quarterback that they have. Give me the Cowboys plus five and a half, and I am going to guess later in the week you are going to get closer to a touchdown with that one. Uh, Texas,
1: you can usually count on the fact that Herman's teams will always play really well when they're underdogs, and they'll always struggle a little bit when they're favored. So uh, yeah, I, if I had to pick on that one, I'd probably side with you on that one. But my third big bet of the week, I went with two underdogs, Northwestern Tennessee. Give me a, give me a favorite for the last one. Um, I think Washington is a team that after they, they blew that game against Cal, I, I think they are going to steamroll their next few opponents, and, and they're going to continue to play inspired football. BYU is obviously better than what I, I thought they were, but they have played just an absolutely brutal schedule to start this year. They've had to get up uh, you know, for a rivalry game against Utah, a huge game against Tennessee, and then a huge wild game against USC. I think they're just going to run out of gas. I, I think Washington covers uh, minus six and, and covers it quite easily.
0: All right. I got uh, two games to finish up our national game. Where game day will be, it'll be... Notre Dame on the road at Georgia. I got 50 bucks on that, as you do. But before that, I do have another $50 to play around with. And I'm going to take Illinois. And not only am I going to take Illinois against Nebraska, I need to make up some money here. And I'm going to go a little crazy. Give me the Illini on the money line against Scott Frost, Cornhuskers. Now i got to check the number and see how much money I'm getting on this money line.
1: It's 13.5, I think, the spread. So, boy, you, you uh... You are doing Josh Erick's proud here. You are you are chasing (laughs) your losses in Week Four.
0: I will do some searching. Uh, What do you got in the big game, Georgia Notre Dame?
1: Uh, Again, the big game of the week. I don't have a lot of confidence either way. Uh, I think the spread is begging you to bet Georgia just because fourteen seems really high, which leads you to believe you probably should just take it and run with it. But uh, I'm I'm just going to do a cop out trend for fifty bucks. I'll take the under. I think Georgia's defense is really really good. I think they'll slow Notre Dame down, but I think uh, it'll be lower scoring than people think. And 56 is the over under, so give me under 56 for my last 50 bucks.
0: 56 on the under for Georgia Notre Dame. I am, uh, yeah, I'm going to grab the Bulldogs in this spot here. I'm going to lay the 13.5, 14, whatever that number is. So I'm going to go with that one and actually take one uh, on a side, but as you do, don't feel overly confident. Here it is. Plus four hundred right now for those Illini, for my fifty bucks. So that would be a big, big help if they can upset the Cornhuskers on Saturday evening night game. This just it has the feeling that something goofy is going to happen. You had Nebraska last week. Great call on that one. I like that one and uh, jumped aboard with you. Thankfully, as my picks alone have been terrible, but good call there. Still, feels like something funky could happen over there with Lovey's boys.
1: Well, you you got a lot of confidence in. and Lovey Smith and the boys Trent uh, I'd like to I'd like to see it happen I don't see it happening but uh I hope you're right so and, and if you do you'd be right back in the race with me so
0: that's what we need in a big big way we need to get it going on a positive direction so our picks once again biz for 150 bucks each of our 500 we play with each week he's got Northwestern plus nine and a half Tennessee plus 14 and Washington minus six and 50 bucks on the under. Of Georgia Notre Dame I got 150 on USC and Oklahoma State both uh, plus four and a half and five and a half for each of them money line Illinois for 50 bucks on the money line and Georgia minus 13 and a half and my $100 teaser for the week Northwestern Michigan State over 33 Tulane Houston under 62 and a half and Texas A&M plus two and the hook against Auburn picks are in for this week biz boy I need to get things turned around it's legal now and I'm betting worse than ever
1: well, but you you put your uh, you put your trust in Lovey Smith, Trent. That can it, things can only get better when you uh, when you jump on the Lovey Smith bandwagon.
0: He's due. He's due at the very least. We we know that. Biz. Before we get out of here, every week we do it. It's time for Business Beat. Hey kids, gather around for Business Beat of the day. Okay, here's Business Beat of the day. <sighs> well,
1: Trent, uh, as great as the state of Iowa did and represented himself and. Game day and everything. Once again, the people of the state of Iowa have uh, confirmed that they are not very good at at, uh, being able to take a joke. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention to the whole come-and-go debacle uh, over the last 24 hours, but it is just phenomenal to to watch uh, how how buttered Iowa State fans have got by come-and-go's joking tweets. I saw an Iowa State fan, one of the few that didn't get buttered, made a a comment in there that said it reminded him of... uh, Iowa fans a- after the Stanford band performed at halftime in the Rose Bowl, and and he, and he's dead on. Uh, it's amazing how many people uh, get incredibly angry when anybody says to make a joke about their 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 team. And I was at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I watched the halftime. I thought it was hilarious, but I could not believe how many Iowa fans were screaming from row seventy and just livid at the Stanford band. Uh, I also can't believe how many people. Uh, it, got angry and said they'll never shop at come-and-go again because, God forbid, that the person behind their their Twitter account has a sense of humor. So uh, lighten up, people of Iowa. Be be able to take a joke, and that goes for both Iowa and Iowa State fans.
0: Uh, Good call there, Biz. Uh, A lot of vitriol and a lot of people boycotting now, come-and-go. Never again will they get their gas from come-and-go they're going to go somewhere else.
1: Uh, and it ended the exact way that everybody knows it was going to end, which is come and go eventually backs down and, uh, apologizes for, for having a sense of humor, but I really enjoyed that. Even their apology was, was kind of a, uh, a smart ass apology as yes. well. But whoever, if you go back, through I, I spent five minutes and went back through and just read some of the come and go tweets accounts, uh, tweets over the years. The guy that does that, he's just pretty funny in general. This is kind of their MO. They, they do a lot of, uh, Random funny stuff on there. So uh, unfortunately, I'm not a come and go customer. Maybe maybe I will now, and uh, I'll make up for the uh, whatever the one guy was that says that they lost a $750 a year customer, which uh, is really going to hurt the bottom line. To come <laughs> and go,
0: sell those stocks now. You're going to be in trouble. Come and go if you got those uh, part of everything. All right, biz. We are out of time. One,
1: one yep. last thing, sir. If you haven't seen it, right before we got on the air, I saw somebody tweeted there is a a a tweet of Mike Leach's press conference today, and if you haven't seen it yet, please make sure you go go see it. It is a two-minute random discussion by him on all of the Pac-12 mascots and who would win in a battle. Ooh, I'm it in. Is, believe me, it is... You'll be amazed how well thought out it is. I mean, he clearly has spent a significant amount of time <laughs> thinking about this. because <laughs> I think he hits on every mascot. Uh-huh. He has... Analysis on on why or why not um, each mascot would do well in the battle. So it, it's it's classic Mike Leach, and it might be uh, it might be the best two minutes of your day. So when, when you get done, go listen to it.
0: I will. I am right on that. Afterwards, going to brighten up this afternoon. Biz, good talking with you. We got a bye week. Uh, I don't know if we reconvene next week. Maybe <laughs> sprinkle in some basketball talk. Well,
1: I've got kind of an idea, I think, for Stat Boy for a, kind of a, a bi-week uh, assignment as well. Where I think we can get him get him doing a little more homework on some things. And and I think, uh, is, is Lee and Monroe, are they the Warhawks still?
0: They are, absolutely. Came into, oh. uh, Kinnick what, 2009?
1: Yeah, well, since, since, since the Hawks aren't playing, I don't have to say go Hawks. I'll, I can finish by saying uh, go Warhawks this week, I guess.
0: There you go. Good stuff, Biz. We'll do it again next week.
1: All right, go walk.